0: Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's time for the sweetest 16 of March. Hope you guys didn't have Kansas or Purdue or Arizona going too far in your bracket. All of your odds, props, promos, and parlays for college basketball are available on Bet Online Sportsbook. You can use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B L E A V 5 0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. <laughs> Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous podcast. Thursday, March 23rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we still appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you might be listening. Today on the show, we didn't have a guest, we didn't really have a topic to discuss, nothing timely going on in the world of sports that piqued our interest. And so today, I wanted to take a proactive approach and talk about a story that I have been ruminating on for a little while. I always enjoy talking about this topic. It is a topic that is personal to me and my journey in this sports talk space and wanting to bring voice to issues that really matter in the world of sports. And one of these issues that calls strongly to me is the sports culture in America and working to change sports culture in America to promote the inclusion, acceptance, and love of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, queer, asexual, and plus, you know, LGBTQIA plus athletes in these spaces of sports culture in America. Because it's kind of atrocious and it's something that I want to help carry the torch on. And with this small little platform that we have, I like carrying the torch a little bit more when it comes to talking about these issues, promoting cultures of inclusivity and moving the needle a little bit forward so that perhaps some LGBTQIA athlete will get an opportunity that they may not have had elsewhere in 10, 20, 30 years time. And the reason I wanted to be proactive in this approach today is because very often when this topic comes up here on the podcast, it is because of what I term as quote-unquote lazy homophobia or lazy conversations around LGBTQIA plus inclusion in sports. One example of that is last year when we talked about the Tampa Bay Rays Pride Night situation where five players in the bullpen for the Rays, one of whom was pitching the closeout championship game for Team USA yesterday. I the just clicked in my head. I think his name is Jason Adam. just clicked in my head when I saw him pitching at the World Baseball Classic. I was like, oh wait, that's one of the players who refused to wear the Pride Night jersey for the Tampa Bay Rays. And When we talked about that story, the thing that I bemoaned is how it was what I call lazy homophobia because now you have to have a conversation about should you or should you not wear it when the conversation is ridiculous. Of course you should wear it. You sign a contract, you will wear that jersey. And the Tampa Bay Rays made a greater problem out of it because... They made it optional and facilitated a conversation when there is no conversation to be had around that. You wear the Pride Night jersey because it's ridiculous not to. And if you're going to stand on the point of religious righteousness, then at that point you can put down in contract that you have to wear this jersey and you can null and void your major league contract because this is not a deal breaker for people supporting gay people and supporting transgender people is not a deal breaker for these people and their contracts. It is righteousness based on religious fallacy or this idea of moralism, whatever you want to point to. And so that's a conversation that often comes up when talking about this. And it's the lazy conversation around homophobia and around LGBTQIA plus rights. And if you want to take it a step deeper, the thing I always articulate is it's detracting from real conversations about how LGBTQIA youth have, for example, higher rates of homelessness than the general population, experience higher rates of depression and suicide than the general population. In many states across America right now, such as Tennessee, are being, are actively having their rights taken away, and in cases like Florida, thankfully there are courts that are intervening to prevent these homophobic laws that take away the rights of LGBTQIA plus people from going into effect, you're seeing in states all across a systematic dismantling of the rights of LGBTQIA plus people, and more specifically LGBTQIA plus youth in the context of youth sports. So these are broader conversations that should come up whenever we have The the quote-unquote lazy homophobia conversation like that. The other time that we talk about this a lot is cases where we are talking about the Qatar World Cup and how in Qatar you have... It illegal to be gay, illegal to be transgender, and the rights actively being like just the rights not existing within the country, and how that can become a mirror for what's happening in America, and injustice in that country can point to some of those same injustices here in America. And so what I wanted to do today, because there isn't a breaking news story that relates to suppressing free speech or suppressing the rights of LGBTQIA plus people. I wanted to go out of my way to talk about sports culture and take that deeper dive that I'm always talking about when we talk about this stuff. And I say, like, we could be having a conversation about all these things. Today, I wanted to take a deeper dive into sports culture and how to facilitate change within that sports culture, and more specifically, one case that's coming up in the next couple months that I wanted to address well before it happens instead of the day or the week that it happens when there's going to be a spotlight shined on Brittany Griner because Brittany Griner is going to return to the WNBA in about two months. The first game for the Phoenix Mercury is May 19th and there's still a good period of time in between. I just wanted to touch on that story now proactively instead of talking about it the week that it happens at the time when everyone else is going to talk about it because it's a really interesting case study as it relates to ideas uh, uh, con- additionally to like Brittany Griner now being an American hero and everything about the geopolitics of the Russian war and an athlete coming back after being detained for 11 months in a hostile foreign country. In addition to that, there's so many interesting storylines around this as it relates to gender identity and sexuality and the way that sports in America talk about these types of things and uh, foster environments that are inclusive, accepting, and loving for people of different gender identities and sexualities. And so we'll talk about that a little bit towards the end of this program because I think there's a really interesting... Talking point coming up over the next couple months around this. The first place I wanted to start is going a step further to talk about creating inclusive, accepting, and loving cultures, particularly in male sports in America. Because as we've talked about before, there have only been one, or there's currently only one actively gay and actively out gay football player. There are currently zero actively gay out basketball players. There's uh, a couple minor league baseball players, nobody in the major leagues in baseball. In hockey, there are a handful of minor leaguers. Nobody currently in the NHL, as far as I'm aware, is publicly out. And in major league soccer, you have a couple of players who are publicly out and a couple of minor league slash college soccer players as well. It's an environment that clearly does not facilitate LGBTQ plus people from being publicly out in male sports. There are male athletes who are gay, transgender, or non-gender conforming in all of male sports, and male sports culture does not permit them because there's an incredible An incredible heteronormative standard around male sports, especially in America, because uh, there's data that's been uh, gathered around this. It's linked in the description of this episode. It was collected in 2020 that talks about how out of... In all of America, in all the countries in the world, the United States finished dead last in terms of gender acceptance and gender identity, being publicly out, gender identity acceptance, sexuality acceptance within their professional sports leagues. The United States finished dead last in the entire country. Surprisingly enough, Canada ended up finishing number one on this data point. It was very interesting. And globally, you're seeing a global sports culture, when you come together, you're seeing greater amounts of progress, which makes me feel a little bit better about this issue as someone who always is yelling into the void about youth, uh, about sports culture around LGBTQIA plus athletes. And youth sports culture is something that could facilitate to the, the, uh, to the college ranks and then to the professional ranks. That's usually how innovation and change works is from youth levels up to the top. The problem is there's a systematic attack on LGBTQIA plus youth in sports going on right now as part of culture war politics. And that we don't know the the ramifications of that that might be doing damage against the progress that's being had right now. We just don't have the data points to point to it. But globally, when you zoom out outside of the U.S., there are data points that show that global sports culture is becoming incredibly more accepting. At the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, and this is courtesy of the Daily 49er back in 2021, the Tokyo Olympics had 185 publicly out gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and non-binary athletes, which is triple the number who participated five years earlier at the 2016 Rio Olympics. So globally, you're seeing data points like that. The the data I was talking about with the US finishing dead last, you could go over to Canada and see how Canada has created programs that help people, uh, programs that help foster environments and cultures where people are more accepted and loved that then make it easier for them to come out on their own and be themselves because that trusting, vulner- that vulnerability can be trusted among athletes. And even in America, there are data points that talk about among athletes who have come out, which is an incredibly small sample size in male sports, even those who come out in male sports, 95% reported either neutral or positive reactions of acceptance, inclusion, and love from their teammates. 95% reported that it was either neutral or a positive reaction to them coming out, which is great because the problem for years that created this heteronormative culture in sports, and specifically male sports, is this expectation of being antagonistic. Towards gay people, John Amici, who's a clinical psychologist, he used to play in the NBA. He was the first publicly out as gay basketball player after he retired. John Amici talked about how, for years and years, he would hear athletes talk in the locker rooms or on the bus or on the plane about how, oh, would you rather your child be gay or your child be mentally? I'm not going to say the word, but be mentally disabled. And just all sorts of gross conversations around sports culture that promoted heteronormative behavior and led to those athletes who were gay or transgender or non-gender conforming within sports not be as public not being willing to trust their teammates with those vulnerabilities because of the antagonism. And so fortunately, you're not seeing antagonism. The problem is the bare minimum is just to not be antagonistic and it looks like we're finally getting closer to people are achieving the bare minimum when it comes to athletes being out. And I think the cultures that promote more athletes to come out and more athletes who uh, will at the youth levels and college levels then make it to the professional levels based on just the data points of sports should be no more or less uh, should have no more or less percentage of gay or out athletes than any other domain of life that should not be the case. It is a cultural reason why there are fewer, publicly out athletes than there are in in sports, there are fewer publicly out athletes than there are in other professions or walks of life or other groups in America. And this is a specifically male sports point. The point that I wanted to move into now as we're having the broader conversation is around women's sports, because in America, there's not a lot of great data points to work on to have a broader conversation around LGBTQIA plus athletes in male sports. There's just not enough male athletes who are out to have a broader conversation about cultural changes. I was reading an article that talked about how male sports is the, uh, they, they had a great term for it that I wanted to share. Male sports is the quote unquote last closet to break down when it comes to cultural acceptance of gay and queer and uh, bisexual and non-binary people within male sports. It is the last closet that will be broken down in terms of making cultures that are accepting, inclusive, and loving of people of different sexual orientations and gender identities. So because we just don't have the data points when it comes to male sports in America, I wanted to talk about women's sports to have this broader conversation about gender identity and sexuality. Because in the WNBA and in women's soccer and in other major women's sports, over the past decade, there has been an interesting development in terms of the cultural changes in women's sports and the acceptance, inclusion, and love of people who have different sexual, ident- sexual orientations and gender identities. And there's a bunch of cultural reasons for why this is the case. The first foundational point is, for some reason, people are more okay with lesbians than with gay people, just as a broad cultural undertone. And there's data points to back this up. Many of them are linked in the description to this episode. There's just a broader cultural acceptance in America of two women dating, having a sexual relationship than there is with two men. The other part of this culturally is that women's sports don't get the media coverage of male sports. And one of the articles that I've cited here, it's From SB Nation, the Swish Appeal account, which is a a women's basketball SB Nation page, they talked about in 2020 how when Michael Sam came out publicly, it was front page news all over the place leading up to the 2014 NFL Draft. And around the same time, Brittany Griner, who was the college player of the year, won a national championship at Baylor, number one pick in the WNBA draft, right after being drafted, Brittany Griner came out in an interview and it wasn't front page headlines because the point of the interview was not to be publicly out. It was not Brittany Griner's tell-all about her sexuality. It was just something that happened to be mentioned in the story. And around the same time, you see these two cases that have such distinct cultural discrepancies between Brittany Griner, the best college basketball player of the last four years, and Michael Sam, a defensive tackle who would be drafted late in the NFL draft. You see these two discrepancies between male and female. These case studies between male and female sports and the female sports just doesn't get the the type of coverage as male sports which is not a surprise to anyone it's just a grim reality that has the unintended consequence of making it easier women females or non-binary athletes who happen to be born female and it's a grim reason for that to happen a bad situation led to an unintended positive consequence And the third reasoning behind this, particularly as it relates to the WNBA, is the WNBA realized that they could make money by marketing to LGBTQ plus fans, and so the WNBA began a campaign of marketing their sport to people of different gender identities and sexual orientations, And there was a bit of a growing period. If you know the history of the WNBA between like 2013 and 2020, there was an interesting growing period where they wanted to have pride campaigns and they wanted to advertise the sport to people of different gender orientations and identities. They didn't want to emphasize that the players themselves were of different sexual orientations and gender identities and over time, they they have been the culture has given it enough time to where publicly out female athletes in the WNBA are much more comfortable talking about this because the culture around it has become more accepting, inclusive, loving, and has even gone as far to promote their uh, diversity in sexual orientation and in gender identities. And so you get to this place where after a decade, we're now in 2023, you have in women's soccer and women's basketball, which are the two largest sports in terms of monetary value in the United States and the sports with which the best female athletes often end up participating in, you're seeing a more inclusive, more accepting, and more loving diverse group of gender identities and sexual orientations than has previously existed in male sports because the cultures are so distinct in that sport for all of the reasons that we have outlined earlier than this or or, you know we outlined over the last 10 minutes or so and so it's interesting to see how now different sexualities and gender identities coexist in a league that, in America, does it the best job of supporting queer and non-binary athletes. And this leads into the conversation about Brittany Griner, because in two months, Brittany Griner is going to return to the WNBA. For those who don't know, as a quick summary, Brittany Griner was detained for having vape cartridges in Russia where she was playing during the off season. Brittany Griner ended up getting nine and a half years in a Russian penal colony and was essentially considered a prisoner of war. At this point, the government of the United States negotiated a prisoner swap for Brittany Griner and she was able to come home after over 300 days In a Russian penal colony. And Brittany Griner. Has now become revered as a hero. Regardless of whether the reasons for why. Brittany Griner is now revered as a hero. In a way that has not existed because there really is no precedent. For a situation like this. A famous female basketball player. Being detained as a prisoner of war. In the middle of a Russian and Ukrainian war that has been a hot button topic in America going back to February of 2022. And so Brittany Griner returned home and is going to play for the Phoenix Mercury in the 2023 season. The last time we saw Brittany Griner, she finished second for the WNBA MVP, and she also left the bubble early in 2020 to deal with her mental health and well-being and had seeked out treatment during the off-season after leaving the bubble. And Brittany Griner, you, you put all of that together and you have Brittany Griner, a star women's basketball player, prisoner of war, <laughs> returning home and is going to play in the sport and that's going to generate a gigantic amount of media coverage during the week that she makes her return because people are interested in this unprecedented situation how does this star of sport in america now revered as a hero return to the sport and what's so unique about this situation is this is one of the first instances not only of an athlete returning to the court or returning to the field of play after being a prisoner of war it is the first case I can think of in which a black, lesbian, non-gender conforming woman is now revered as a hero within American society. You can come to me with some examples that I'm not thinking of because I'm just too young to experience it. I cannot find a case in my mind of a black, lesbian, non-gender conforming woman being revered as a hero in America. And not just being revered as a hero among a subsection of America, being almost universally revered as a hero within America by people who are at the very least not antagonistic towards women or gay people or black people. You just don't see this happening. And so what's so unique about this is I expect there will be Lots of people with their eyes on this situation from all walks of life because there is intrigue around this unprecedented situation in sport. And Brittany Griner is probably not the person with being the figure to carry this burden. And the burden that I'm talking about is not just being a hero as a prisoner of war and being expected to come back and play after... 11 months of being in a Russian penal colony it's expecting to come back and now being someone in the public eye as a hero with the scrutiny of being black lesbian non-gender conforming and a woman in American society in which all four of those things would make you not the majority or not as revered within the majority we're talking about issues of race, gender identity, sexual orientation. And Brittany Griner doesn't check the boxes of things that are usually revered in American society. And yet, here we are. People who, under normal circumstances, would not revere this person will, because of the spent 11 months as a prisoner of war in a Russian penal colony, and because of the polarization of the war— People might pay attention to WNBA basketball in a way that didn't exist before out of intrigue and curiosity, not out of judgment, not out of any sort of resentment or whatever the reasons may be that people who didn't previously turn into the WNBA will now turn into the WNBA. Out of genuine intrigue and curiosity, people are going to want to see how Brittany Greiner returns from... 11 months in a Russian penal colony to play professional basketball. And when you have people interested and curious for the first time in say sport or any sort of topic like this, where we're talking about issues of gender identity, sexual orientation, race, when you have people curious and interested for the first time, you have an opportunity to effectuate real change on an individual level. Because when people are finally willing to put down their preconceived notions, their stereotypes, the, the stances that aren't deal breakers for them like racism, homophobia, and sexism, which as basically part of the Republican Party or part of a group of people, a community that you live in or a community that you associate with, yeah, you might not be the biggest fan of these things, but they're also not deal breakers from breaking off in, from the community. When you live in these spaces and you live in when you put down your preconceived notions and you put down your stereotypes and you put down the things that you feel aren't are not great, but also aren't deal breakers in terms of sticking with your community, you have a chance to effectuate real change and real positive, real positive change on an individual level, which is something I try to do with this small little platform that I have. I know I'm not changing the world. But we can effectuate change on small levels with this platform that we have. And as this platform grows, we'll hopefully get to continue to talk about these issues that are really concerning about sexual orientation, gender identity, race in sports, and these cultural changes that we can effectuate that will make a more positive, inclusive, loving, and diverse environment for sports going forward and make this weird little community that we all have a little bit better than when we left it. So when you have this opportunity to effectuate change on an individual level, you have a responsibility to do right by the people who, you have a responsibility to do the right thing morally and the responsibility to do the right thing in promoting the incredible stories of these incredibly diverse people who are subjugated because you are part of the minority and people who are in the majority being white, straight, male, cisgender, Christian, people in the majority are listening to you in a way that they would not have ordinarily because the connecting point is war criminal or sorry, war prisoner, war criminal in the eyes of Russia, prisoner of war returning home and trying to play professional sports for the first time. And so around this Griner situation, there's a chance to effectuate real meaningful change by having important dialogue around gender orientation our uh, sorry sexual orientation and gender identity, and Brittany Griner, and Brittany Griner is not the person who should be carrying that that mantle going forward, because again, Brittany Griner has dealt with seeking mental health treatment prior to 2021 coming out of the WNBA bubble. Brittany Griner is a person who spent 11 months in a Russian penal colony, so if she was seeking out mental health treatment prior to being stuck in a russian penal colony there's probably a lot weighing on her as that as the return home happens and also you have to build up your body back to being a high level professional athlete while also now being revered as an american hero and that's it's not brittany griner's responsibility to be the person to effectuate change. Far too often we put, have this idea that the people who are burdened or in the minority have to be the people to then effectuate change when the problem is the majority. The problem is the people in the majority and you have individuals who will be giving intrigue and curiosity to this case for the first time or, or in a way that they previously didn't because of the connecting point to Brittany Griner. And so Greiner may not be the person to take this on as being the figurehead. And so this is where people who are in media should be actively talking about this in the way that we are in talking about gender identity and sexual orientation and about how Brittany Greiner is someone who doesn't conform to gender normative standards, is also someone who is whose sexual orientation identifies as lesbian and has been publicly out for her entire career. When she was returning from the Russian penal colony, news outlets and people were very comfortable talking about her partner and girlfriend, which was a good step. I think just normalizing the conversation around that and not making it the focal point is part of changing the culture in a broader sense. And so it's on the job of people being responsible in this sense to bring these issues to the forefront. Even if it's not the immediate focal point of Brittany Griner's returning, you have a chance to effectuate change by talking about how, hey, this hero does not look like the majority, does not have the same sexual orientation as the majority, identifies as a woman, but also identifies with the non-gender conformity of a woman in sports or in American society. And having that person be revered as a hero is something that will help facilitate conversation and facilitate growth potentially for people like this. And there's only so much I can do without having a direct conversation with people. If you're interested in this type of stuff, you can always reach out to me on my social medias. There's links in the description of this episode for all of our contact information. You can always reach out. We can talk more about this stuff because a lot of this is just me talking into a void. And so, what's interesting about this is that Griner's not going to be the person for that, but this is where media outlets can be responsible. This is where her fellow WNBA players, particularly WNBA players who are not, uh, potentially not gender, uh, non gender conforming, or I guess are gender conforming in this case, or are straight or are white in many of these cases are talking about this where many of the men who cover the WNBA and people in positions of power can talk about this bringing it to the forefront is going to be an opportunity to break down heteronormative barriers for individuals and effectuate change for the first time there is a unique opportunity because of Britney Griner's story and Britney Griner's situation Changing the culture and breaking down heteronormative standards will involve talking about how, with more people coming to the forefront, Brittany Griner's a hero, but not only is Brittany Griner a hero, Brittany Griner is a black, lesbian, non-gender conforming woman who is a hero. And like I said, I can't find many cases like that, and I can't find many cases where a person like Brittany Griner is going to be revered as a hero, when she makes her comeback to the sport. And so, breaking down heteronormative standards in covering sports and supporting and propping up this person, who again is seen as a hero, and pointing out that this black, lesbian, non-gender conforming woman is a hero and is going to be someone who is going to make an incredible comeback in a sport that has... in a sports league that has her full support and made the 2022 season all about BG and bringing Brittany Griner home and made that a focal point of their season. And not just of the Phoenix Mercury, the entire league, the focal point of the season became about Brittany Griner and doing what they could to bring her home and have her know that they had her back and would support her in a way that would not exist potentially in other sports. In a way that does not make this all about the individual and about the collective cause of wanting to support this person who is part of a family that does not exist in other places. And so the WNBA moving into Britney Griner's return is going to be an incredible opportunity that is going to bring new people into this space than previously existed before. And so talk breaking down heteronormative standards in the way that we cover sports and rev- and talk about Brittany Griner as a hero is going to be a small opportunity to effectuate some level of change, foster a level of diversity, and change the culture, foster a level of understanding on an individual level. Because like I said earlier, there will be people whose connecting point to this story is the war in Ukraine... Brittany Griner being a prisoner of war who returns to America a hero and is revered as a hero in a a way that is unique and based on Brittany Griner's story is unique to all of American society, if not professional sports. There are going to be people paying attention with intrigue in a way that did not exist before. And there will be a continued opportunity to facilitate growth and change as it relates to the way that we talk about the cultures of gender identity and sexual orientation within sports. And I think that's an incredible opportunity to facilitate and promote change for something that I feel incredibly passionate about in this sports space and want to bring light to it as often as we have opportunities to. So, Let's look forward and let's continue to have these conversations. If you want to reach out to me on an individual level, happy to talk more about this stuff and listen to you talk about it. You can follow us at sports DSD underscore on Twitter. And uh, my messages should be available pretty much anywhere over there. If not, you can shoot me an email or reach out on Instagram or wherever else. If you do find a, re- uh, do have intrigue in talking more about this case. So If you're curious and interested, love to facilitate conversation with listeners of the show because you are the ones who continue to support our dreams and part of our dreams are talking about issues like this and bringing attention to issues like this in a way that is unique and I hope will not be as unique as we move forward and people talk about gender identity and sexual orientation in sports and sports culture. Thank you for stopping in, everybody. I hope you all have a fantabulous rest of your day. We will talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Okay, here's how Miro works. See, it's amazing. What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another 100 meetings for every round of feedback? Yep, you can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more? Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com.